0: On today's episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Adam Tarapelli.
1: The, the first practice we ever had was on a Thursday. And we'd done our preseason and we had, we had Thursday practice. And uh, I'll never forget, went with three or four guys and uh, all, you know, eight, ten-minute, typical, you know, 12-minute Mark Johnson, you know, matches. So, uh, so, so I, I didn't get a takedown. Didn't score, didn't score a point. Literally didn't score. We can endure anything
0: I think
1: it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, that's good wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness.
0: Ladies and gents, this is your host, Ryan Warner. Welcome back to another episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. I'm sitting here in the wrestling capital of America, Chicago IL, and we have a great episode for you today. My guest is Adam Tarapelli, which is someone I consider a triple threat. And I guess a fourth threat, if you consider his Twitter game, which is highly amusing and insightful. But the the three threats I'm talking about, folks, are his wrestling skills. National champion for Illinois, two-time finalist, three-time All-American for the Fighting Illini. As a coach, he coaches at Clovis and has led them to six California team state titles and God knows how many individual state champions. And keep in mind that California only has one division, so it's really tough to win out there. And he's done it six times as a coach. Third is he's a business owner. He's one of the founding partners at Strong Valley Wealth and Pension. And so he really has a lot of unique insights that I enjoyed, and I hope you do as well. Fate of the week goes to Saviloff Brands, one of my favorite Twitter accounts to follow, in addition to Mr. Terrapelli, actually. His Twitter handle is at not Tom, not Terry, and he claims to be the long-lost Russian triplet brother of Tom and Terry Brands. Thanks for the follow, and thanks for all the support. I really appreciate it. Last but not least, this episode is brought to you by the Wrestling Changed My Life store. You can find it at store.wrestlingchangedmylife.com. One of my favorite items right now is the Russian wrestling t-shirt, and it's in that Soviet Union red, and the shirt says Wrestling Changed My Life in Russian, which is pretty cool. Please don't feel obligated to go there, but if you want to support the podcast, that's one way to do so. It's stored at WrestlingChangeByLife.com. Thank you all who have gone so far, and thank you all who have listened to this podcast. It means a lot, and I certainly appreciate seeing all the comments and all the listens. So thank you very much, folks. Now, let's give it up for Adam Tarapelli. Okay, we're here with Adam Tarapelli. Adam, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Now you are, you certainly famous in Illinois for wrestling at the University of Illinois, but you you came from California, and I don't know if you were the first to start that pipeline of California to Illinois, but um, how did all that this get started for you? I mean, you have a huge wrestling family; your dad and your uncle were coaches, but how did you get involved at an early age in the sport?
1: So, like you said, my dad, uh, my dad was my coach. Um, you know, he wrestled uh, wrestled in high school because his brother. Uh, who was uh, two years older, I want to say, but only a year in school, uh, was out for the team. And so that's how my dad ended up going out for the team. And he was tiny. He weighed like 80 pounds and uh, you know had a lot of energy, was always getting in little trouble. So wrestling kept him busy. And uh, was able to use use wrestling as sort of a springboard to continue on to junior college and then eventually college. And then uh, came back and was, it was a teacher. And uh, somebody basically begged him to do the wrestling coaching job he didn't want to do it um so he ended up he ended up doing it and if you know my dad he's uh he's very competitive so you know if you're going to do it you might as well do it right and uh you know 35 40 years later he you know the kid coached all of us and continued coaching and finally uh finally retired i said he's down to about 90 percent of the effort he used to give now <laughs> as a retired guy now did he start at clovis uh, no. So we started, uh, my, my parents are from Placerville area, um, you know, between Sacramento and uh, Lake Tahoe. And, uh, we grew up in Sacramento. My dad taught at a, uh, at an inner city school, Hiram Johnson in Sacramento. And, uh, we, we went there, um, because he taught there and, you know, that's where the wrestling program was and that's where everything was at. So, uh, we grew up in a very, uh, you know, very diverse background. Um, enjoyed the experience, you know, had kids sleep over at our house when I was a little kid, you know, on the team because their parents, you know, we, my dad wasn't sure if their parents would get up and bring them to the, to the <laughs> tournament on, in the morning. So, uh, it, it was a good, you know, it was, it was a really, really good experience. And so that's where, uh, that's where I did most of my wrestling until I was a senior in high school. And then we ended up moving down to the Clovis area. Uh, my dad got a job down here and then that's where my brothers ended up going through, going through Clovis high.
0: I didn't realize you went there for the first three years. So I thought you went just your first year and then transferred. So you spent most of your time at that first high school.
1: I did, yeah. Yeah, I grew up, uh, you know, born and raised uh, Hiram Johnson and all the way through my junior year. And then uh, my senior year, we we you know, my family wanted to move. My dad put a lot of effort into wrestling program and youth program. And, I mean, when you're doing it yourself, it any, any coach would tell you, it it wears you out. And it's hard to keep doing it over and over again. So, I had my my I have a younger sister um who was playing volleyball and softball all the time and then I have two younger brothers and then he just you know couldn't see himself putting in that same time and effort into doing it all for them and and city schools were were struggling a little bit in Sacramento so uh, I had the opportunity to to move down to the Clovis area and always liked the area so uh that's how my family ended up down here.
0: Yeah it's funny I grew up in the Midwest small farm town of about 6,000 and from what I hear Clovis in that area is kind of like Midwest country to an extent, like farmland yeah. and farmland. yeah,
1: very much. Um, most people think of uh, you know Southern California and Bay Area when they think of you know California, and and that is obviously a large you know large percentage of the population. But uh, Central Valley is very much you know it's it's about as Midwest as you can get in California. Yeah, and that's you know that's our area. Uh, very big agriculture. When the, we call it the Central Valley of California between the two mountain ranges and the coast. Um, said tons of agriculture here: uh, raisins, grapes, almonds. Tons of the world's almonds come from here. Um, so yeah, that's that's the area, and it's uh, it's very much. Uh, like I said it's very much mid- as Midwestern as you're gonna get for California.
0: Sure, maybe not the winners, but but all the good qualities, right? The blue collar, tough labor, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I said, more of a family atmosphere. Um, I know Clovis in particular, um, a lot of families moved to the area just because of the schools and because of the involvement um, in sports and not just sports, but it's, it's band, It's, it's everything. It's all the extracurricular and everybody's involved.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. Now, one thing I couldn't tell from doing the research was, you know, at a young age, did you wrestle because you were kind of forced to and that, it just you learned to love it, or did you love it first, and then your dad said, "Okay, he loves it. Let's go all in on this." How did that all kind of transpire?
1: So my family's a little bit different, especially for you know today's today's day and age where <laughs> it's all about doing what you want and having fun, and you know I'm not going to force my kid to do anything. Like that wasn't how we grew up, and I'm sure a lot of the Midwesterners didn't grow up that way either. You don't just wake up and do what's fun every day. Um, so I wrestled because you know, my dad did it, and. I was around it and I didn't always love it. Um, you know, there were, I'm sure there were times where I wanted to do other things and, you know, so other things are more fun, but it was just sort of expected in my family that, Hey, you're going to, you're going to wrestle, but there was never really a lot of pressure to, to win or to be the best. I was very competitive and wanted to be good. Um, but it wasn't about winning. It was about, you know, putting forth a good effort, practicing, competing, you know um you know giving a great effort you know in practice and on the mat and you know later you learn that you know it's probably more for life skills than it is for you know uh being a great wrestler I mean as much as as much fun as it is to win a state championship or national championship or even olympic you know championship uh it's really not an end game it's it's the development process and you enjoy doing it and I use a lot of those skills now so
0: yeah no I Absolutely. I think that's that's the whole theme of the podcast is that the lessons you learn go way past the sport and we'll get into that near the tail end of this. But, you know, I'm curious. You you're obviously a super competitive guy and I've I've even heard you say in interviews that, you know, sometimes you have to be on the extreme of like not crazy, but you know, a little bit crazy to get the results you want and yeah, I know you're like that as a coach, but as a as a wrestler, when did that first click in for you where I don't know if it was like middle school or high school where you said, this is all consuming, it's all I care about, I'm 100% in. When did that happen for you?
1: Oh, probably um, probably high school, you know, started, started wanting to, you know, had certain goals. And, I mean, uh, I think what you've heard me say is that a lot of the, a lot of the elite level um, athletes have, uh, have a very obsessive compulsive, um, you know, type behavior to them. Uh, almost, you know, not quite like you see on a, you know, daytime uh, talk show where, you know, maybe you got to touch the door handle 10 times or whatever, but I mean, it's, it's very singularly focused. My wife would tell you that, that I'm very singularly focused, you know, I get on something and like, that's all I'm doing. So, um, you know, but that helps in, in sports because you know, you have goals and, and you see it every day and, and it drives you and it's, you know, it's all you think about because you're, you know, very singularly focused. You're not multitasking and doing all kinds of different things. So, um, I would say high school though, uh, wanted to be a, you know, wanted to be a state champ. Um, just missed my sophomore year. Um, you know, ha- had a, you know, a sort of countdown my whole junior year about, you know, Hey, I'm going to win it this year. And, and, uh, you know, everything kind of, kind of drove toward that, but every year you learn to, to work harder. And that last year, maybe you weren't doing as much as you thought you could. And then you get into college and realize you really weren't doing anything. You could have been doing a whole <laughs> lot more and you aren't nearly as good as you thought you were. So you now every, every steps, uh, you know, or every, every different level is, is a step. And, you know, the guys ended up being good have, you know, like I said, they're a little bit obsessed with their goals and, uh, and, and almost the other thing that it's kind of funny. I mean, you could laugh about it. It's comical. Is that a lot of the guys who end up good are like, know how to put it other than they're almost like so dumb that they can't they can't accept that they're not that good like we had a, a bunch of guys that i mean they're just really not great wrestlers but like they thought they were great and so no matter how bad they got beat like every day they'd come back the next day and be like you know you got lucky like today's my day and it's like dude you just got hammered yesterday like you got pinned a hundred times what are you talking about and but it's it's kind of that mindset that you know, they just have this fervent belief in themselves that, you know, they're not going to get um, get swayed by, you know, by not having the success they want, getting beat in practice. So a lot of guys give up because, hey, they realize kind of, you know, smartly how hard it is. And then you get these guys that ended up being really, really great. And I don't think it was necessarily that they were any better, probably worse than some of the guys that gave up but they just believed in themselves, and they just always thought that, man, you got lucky the last 100 days. Like, day 101, like <laughs> that's my day.
0: <laughs> man, so it's the, kind of uh, funny, but it's true. The power of self-belief is something that I don't think we as humans will ever fully understand, but someone like you has been at the elite level as a competitor and now as a coach, I mean, just while we spend a few seconds here, I mean, do you think there's any – there are limits, right? Because you or I probably couldn't play in the NBA just because of – physical limitations, but I mean like where do you think the limit is with self belief and just how influential that can be on a given goal?
1: Yeah, I mean I like I said, I've seen it I've seen it work wonders. Um, you know, that the guys like I said who there are tons of talented guys who give up, you know, along the way for for any number of reasons. Some legit, some maybe not so legit. Um, you know, school girls grades, um, partying Whatever I mean, the, and the list goes on and on and on. But but the guys who make it just sort of keep coming back, and, and again not getting beaten down. I watch, I follow David Taylor on on um, you know his social media, and obviously a lot of the other elite level guys. I mean, dude, all they talk about is you know it's like they're brainwashing themselves you know, that they're, they're the best. They believe in themselves so much. No one believes in me more than I believe in myself. And uh, yeah, I think it pushes you to to limits. I do believe in limits. Um, I'm not a without limits guy. Like I said, I think we all have a a range, a very, a much larger range than we give ourselves credit for Um, as far as, you know, what you can do in life. Um, Some guys were just born with two left feet and they just aren't very athletically counted. And I, I don't believe that those guys could be major league baseball players or, you know, NFL stars or, but you do have a wide range and that self-belief and things like that, you know, the obsessive behavior, the, you know, the willing to push yourself beyond, you know, normal limits can help you get to the top of your own. I mean, I don't think no matter what I did, I was going to play in the NBA, but with the same type of attitude and effort that I had in, in wrestling, maybe I could have been a pretty good basketball player for what I had, you know, for being five, six and, you know, (laughs) but that's, that's kind of the, that's just how I see it.
0: Yeah, no, I think, it's it's well said because certainly there are limits, and that's it's a dangerous thing to think that there aren't. But at the same time, putting any type of cap on it can be dangerous as well. I mean, just think about all the guys. You know, Terrell Delagnov comes to mind where very um, average high school career did, did better at the end, but no one in a million years would have said two-time Olympian. And so it's just no. those stories are countless in wrestling. We can all uh, count a bunch of them on our hand. Um, and then, you know, speaking of limits, How much more did you have to give once you got around Mark Johnson and John Heffernan back in the day? Like, did you ever think that, like, your first month there and realize, holy crap, I was under-indexing by X percent throughout high school, or was it something you just didn't know how much further you could go?
1: I I think you just don't know, you know. If you uh, like, if you ask someone if they're working hard, like, no matter who it is at what age, they'll say yeah, because they don't really know how much harder they could work. I mean, you always think you're working hard, right? It's like, are you a good driver? Everybody says I'm a good driver well, I'm at least better than average. Well, if everybody's better than average, then that doesn't make any sense because there's got to be an average, right? <laughs> so you always think that you're working hard until the, the next year, the next level, and you find out, man, I could have been doing so much more. Like, I really wasn't working that hard. Um, but, you know, it's, that's part of the process. I mean, it, it's hard to go from, you know, a, a regular uh, 10-year-old to, you know, college-level training. I mean, that's, that's why everything's a process. So, yeah, when I got to Illinois... Um, you know, everything was, you know, everything was just that much more, you know, that much more intense. I think a lot of it was the people you're around, everybody there wanted to be successful, had goals. I mean, you're not, it's not a high school program where you got a couple guys who are into it and, you know, some not so into it and some aren't sure really why they're there. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, everybody had goals and, you know, wanted to be successful. And I think that's, that's part of what makes the college experience so tough, but it is, it is a rapid or, you know, a, a massive change from high school. And well, why so many guys don't make it
0: well, especially back then when you didn't have this youth academy scene that we have now it's it was truly a a huge difference. Did you go through any moments your first uh, and I know you went to Stanford first, so you, you had a year under your belt there, but did you go through any moments when you got to Illinois where you're kind of alone by yourself questioning yourself? I mean talk us talk to us about that if you did
1: sure, yeah, absolutely I mean so uh so I'll give you my story that I told uh, uh at the at the high school this year, I was asked to speak to the um, graduating seniors, moving on to college in all sports, not just wrestling. And, and this is a story that I tell because I want them to know how much more difficult it's going to be at the next level. And if you want to have success, you've got to be willing to push through these type of things. Um, so this so was the first college match I'd ever seen. I was a junior in high school. It was, uh, you know, I think it was on VHS and it was me and my my high school buddy, and I think it was Iowa, Iowa State, and we watched it on VHS, you know, or uh, on tape delay. It was probably not even during the season. So that's, that's how familiar I was with, with college wrestling. And, and my dad was a coach, but we just didn't have it around, you know, in, in California. Um, so I got to Illinois, you mentioned I was at Stanford for a year. So I did have a little bit of experience. And uh, the, the first practice we ever had was on a Thursday. And we'd done our preseason and we had, we had Thursday practice. And uh, I'll never forget, went with, three or four guys and uh all you know eight, ten minute typical, you know, twelve minute Mark Johnson, you know, matches, regular <laughs> matches. He just says go and then you just wrestle until he says stop, which, you know, he he's bad with time. It seems to go on and on and on. <laughs> so uh so so I I didn't get a takedown. Didn't score didn't score a point. Literally didn't score the entire, you know, the entire Thursday. And this is my second year. Like I'm thinking I'm gonna start for the team and you know I wanna be an all American this year. And uh so I was of course, you know, distraught, like man i didn't score but kind of like i said earlier i was i was a little bit one of those guys like hey he's this, this got lucky like you know it's just my first day like tomorrow i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be ready so we get to practice on friday didn't score again <laughs> did the same thing couple partners didn't score i mean you're talking like this is like 25 30 minutes of wrestling right and you can't get a takedown you can't score a point and uh so I'll never forget, we came down to the locker. And like I said, this is the story I told. You. We came down to our lockers and uh, we had our name tags. You know, they'd made up our name tags and, you know, Terpelli and Lockhart and all the guys were, you know, on the team. And I looked at that thing and I just put it in the locker, shut the door. And I wasn't, wasn't trying to, you know, make this big thing. It was just like, I mean, I remember being so disappointed. I looked at the name tag and I'm like, I'm not putting that up. Like, we got one more practice in the morning. Uh, we had Saturday morning practice, and that was going to be the last practice of the week. You know, kind of the first week to get three days, three hard days in. And I said, if I don't score tomorrow, like, it's not going up. I'll put this up, and I can actually score a point. And I'm not even really part of the team. So I put it in my locker, came in Saturday, didn't score. <laughs> <laughs> didn't score on Saturday. What? We're <laughs> talking about a
0: takedown nothing, even on, like, the C-string guys?
1: Nothing. Couldn't do anything. God. So, it, again, you're talking about a totally you said just a different level. And uh it said three days. I went, didn't score a point, and that was a long weekend. You know, reassessing, you know, but I, I mean I was like I said, I was a little bit of that, you know, pretty you know, pretty confident and you know, just could always turn it around that now tomorrow's gonna, you know, it's gonna be different on Monday. And uh I did score finally on Monday. Um you know, put my name tag up on Monday and, you know, or name plate up in my locker. And, uh, and, and the thing is, I ended up, I ended up around away from place in that year. I was top 12 in, in the country, uh, almost, almost made all American. So you can make gains, but but a lot of people give up, you know, at the first sign of adversity or, you know, I mean, this is my second year and I was obviously fairly good in high school. So, I mean, some of the guys, I have tons of respect for my teammates. I mean, we have guys on on the team that, I mean, they just got their ass kicked for, you know, months, what? a year, two years, sometimes <laughs> two years. And, you know, I mean, those guys keep coming back, like tons of, you know, tons of respect for them. And, uh, you know, and then eventually they ended up being pretty good college wrestlers, but the, you know, that's the experience, you know, the guys that are and now, again, you've got these wrestling academies and you do have kids that come in ready to compete at that level. But back in my day, um, you know, you'd be lucky if there was, there was five freshmen in the country that could wrestle as true freshmen and have any type of impact, like five total in any school. And nowadays, you know, there's, you know, 20, Every 25, school. 30. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Now, did Mark or uh, Coach Heffernan have any idea that you were struggling or they just kind of knew you'd go through that and just kind of let you handle it on your own or they approach you and?
1: Yeah, no, they uh, – yeah, I, I think they knew, you know, but, again, that's that's part of the – I mean, wrestling's, a, you know – it's a, it's a fighting sport, man, you kind of got to see how people handle things and uh w- one of those first couple days i I remember I kind of almost got in a fight with one of the guys on our team, and uh I remember Mark was sitting there like I mean this is typical wrestling, right, like every other sport they'd be like jumping in, breaking up, breaking up, and I kept shooting and he kept down blocking with his head, so we kept shooting into each other's head and uh i i can't remember what happened, but basically he he started giving me a hard time, and I was like, you know why don't you just and shoot like do something, and we kind of started going back at it back and forth. Like, you know, hey, this might get a little bit. Front. Yeah. And Johnson's literally—I'm not kidding—he's five feet from us on the wall, and he's just like smiling. <laughs> he's just like, he's just like, let's see what happens here. Oh. <laughs> let's see how this goes. But I mean, that's you know, that's that's college wrestling I and mean, that's division one wrestling. And you know, we kind of like, you know, I mean, we we're pissed, but kind of just settled down and then uh, freaking started wrestling again. I mean, you know, that's. That's what it was like in those rooms. That's but I remember was. He, was sta- he was standing right there, and he was just like, ah, kind of see how this goes.
0: <laughs> Man. Now, a lot of people don't know that Illinois, before Mark Johnson got there, was absolutely in oblivion to college wrestling. Like, they were pretty low on the radar. And, and Mark had actually gone out to uh, Oregon State, I believe, first. Yep. Um Where Gutchus was at, and he brought that team, you know, really high up quickly they actually got second in the country the year he left um or the year after he left you know of course he had been with gable for all those years during that amazing run you know what do you and now you're a coach yourself you know one of the best coaches in the country but what do you think back to you know coach johnson and you know what he was able to do to illinois and to you guys i mean shit your senior year Finals. That's unheard of for Illinois wrestling before, or even now, unfortunately. But like, what do you think, yeah. what was it about Coach Johnson in terms of his leadership or his coaching that really got guys bought in and excited about the program?
1: I think, yeah, I, th- I think you said it. I think his leadership, mm-hmm. um, you know, I learned a lot from him as a, as a coach, you know, and, and what things matter. Um, my dad obviously taught me a lot as well. Sure. But John- Johnson was not the greatest wrestling mind in the country. But by any means, I mean, I think he would tell you that he'd laugh, you know, we used to, we used to laugh and say that, you know, the only thing he could do was front headlock and squeeze and choke you <laughs> out or double underhooks. you know, I mean, obviously he was a better wrestler than that, but like, we would kind of laugh at it, but he was, he was a great leader, um, very charismatic, uh, very, very, um, we called him the mayor, you know, very popular in the community. He knew everybody. He'd get up in the morning, like 4 o'clock in the morning, go to Gold's Gym, and he'd know every, every policeman, every firefighter, every, you know, every every person in the community knew him. And if you read into anybody, it was like, oh, I knew your coach, Mark Johnson. Great guy. <laughs> Love that guy. You know, I mean, as it was just the general, you know, the entire town of Champaign and really the entire, you know, state of Illinois at that time, because we were, you know, doing really well. And obviously he had big presence in, in Chicagoland suburbs and everything. But Man, he just knew everybody. And, and he treated everybody well. Treated everybody with respect. Um, you know, my family always did this too, but I, always, uh, I tell people about how Johnson always treated our equipment guys with respect. Always treated... He would treat the AD and the equipment guys the same way. You know what I mean? It's not like, hey, this person is really important. I'm going to be nice to them. Oh, this person you know, is the a janitor. They're not important. Like, everybody was important. They were all part of the part of the process. So, uh, and our equipment guys loved us. I mean, we treat, you know, he, he sort of set the standard with, Hey, this is how, you know, this is what we do. This is how we treat people. You know, don't let me hear your, you know, bad mouth and your, the equipment guy, your, um, tutors, your academic advisor. Like, and you didn't want to get called in, believe me. You didn't, you didn't want to get called <laughs> in, and, you know, having a talk with you. And if you got in trouble, you know, out at night because it's college, right? I mean, you're going out and, and doing fun things, especially in the off season. He knew all the policemen. So oh. it was like, you get in trouble, it goes right back to, you know, them. And they, and they would typically – I mean, they'd cut you a break because they liked him, but they'd go back and tell him, like, hey, listen, I, you know, yeah. got so-and-so, and, and then, you know, you'd be in trouble. But except his um. Just his overall uh, understanding of how to be a public figure, you know, not a politician, but a public figure, mm-hmm. uh, I think went a really, really long way with the wrestling program because everybody liked our, our program, um, liked him, and we're very supportive, and we got a lot out of that.
0: Man, how important is that in college wrestling now to have more people who are public figures who are doing things to promote and go above and beyond um you, I, I, you don't see it enough, I feel like, in my opinion.
1: No, I think it's everything. I really do. I mean, I, I think, you know, like I just was reading uh, like Chris Bono and, and the jump around thing at Wisconsin. And I mean, just building that that support in the community. I mean, listen, football, football has an army of people to do this stuff for them.
2: Mhm.
1: The, if they didn't, it would be important for them to do it as well. But they have a marketing department. They have all these people doing this stuff for them. You know, same with basketball, especially at the bigger schools. But, like, you have to be a face of the community. I mean, that's how you garner support. You don't know how many people supported Illinois wrestling. They didn't have anything to do with Illinois wrestling. One of the guys who was probably our biggest supporters, still talk to you today, was a horticulture professor and played basketball at Rutgers. <laughs> He was one of our biggest supporters and he had nothing to do with wrestling, but he loved the program. He got to meet Mark. He liked the way that, you know, he liked us. Um, And that's how you, that's how you get support because you're only going to grab so many wrestling coaches, you know, high school wrestling coaches and, and, you know, current wrestlers. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you bring in other people to support and, and especially your administration, you know, how do you get them on board with wanting to support your program? And, you know, being a, being a public figure and, and going, and Mark would go, uh, you know, again, I found this out later. We didn't know exactly what he was doing throughout the day, but I mean, he'd be at Rotary Club. He'd be at, you know, he'd be speaking all week long at different things out, shaking hands, talking to people. So that's a, really learned a lot about just, you know, not just coaching the business and how to, you know, how to make relationships and, and have that drive your, you know, your business or your program.
0: I heard other people say Rob Cole, very similar in that way. He's always out speaking and look what he's done in 30 years. I mean, got, got to Cornell around the same time that Mark got to Illinois, maybe a few years earlier. And you know, he's still there, but what a turnaround. And I had Mike Gray on the show last week and he was saying that <laughs> coach Cole is still at like rotary club meetings and things like that. And you know, just, you know, speaks to the, the kind of out outreach that they have at those schools.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. There, there, there's so many of those guys, like, you know, I know uh, Jack Spates used to, you know, people used to always give Jack Spates, or at least in my circles, a hard time. Like, oh, Jack, he does it. Dude, Jack was a great coach. Like, let me tell you, Oklahoma has never been as good as when Jack Spates was there. Right. And he probably, again, was not your all-time, you know, wrestling guru as far as knowledge of wrestling goes, but he got all the other stuff. He totally understood how to talk to people. He played guitar, how to sing. How to, I mean, He did all kinds of stuff that people liked him. They wanted him around. They wanted to be part of the program. And when I was in college, Oklahoma was good. Yeah. I mean, every year they were, you know, third, fourth, second, fifth in the country. And, you know, a lot of bad-mouthing of of Jack, at least as far as I can remember, um, from the outside. Mm -hmm. And ever since Jack's been gone, they haven't done as well.
0: And they had a great RTC at those era, too.
1: Exactly. It's, yeah. it's not all, I mean, again, it goes back to stupid wrestling and thinking you have to be, you know, a national champion or an Olympic champion to be a good coach. Like that's, it's just one small part. And these guys that get the other things, Brian Smith at Missouri is another one. Uh, Pat Papalozio has obviously done a, one, probably one of the best jobs I've ever seen in, in such a short amount of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Jay Robinson, you know, and the empire he built, you know, again with his camps, but also Jay was very, you know, he's a forward thinker. Willing to willing to talk to people, willing to do things. Not quite the politician that some of these other guys were, but but in a different way.
0: Putting the mat up on the big stage, bringing out the belts. I remember during your era when you were in Lawrence, Iowa and Minnesota had some epic battles during that time as well, just because of the uh, you know the history with j Rob and and Gable and Iowa and it all it all kind of tied together. Now, one thing I did want to hit on is you know you talk about the support that Mark Johnson was able to build at Illinois. I don't think any one event kind of showcase that more than the iowa duel and um you know i can't believe actually that iowa you guys beat iowa during this time i thought it came later but you know take us into that duel what what grade are you in and kind of what's the the rankings of the team and what's the scene there for everyone
1: boy i'm not gonna remember all of it but basically i think we hadn't beat them in 43 years or some you know and and we'd mostly got stomped every time we wrestled and iowa was you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're coming back now and they've always been good, but they were, you know, they were at the top then, um, Iowa and then Minnesota was just shortly on the, you know, uh, right after that. Um, but yeah, basically they came into, you know, came into Huff Hall, and, you know, we always had good support there. And, um, you know, I think we, we reeled off the first, you know, four or five, four or five wins. And then they had, they had a bunch of studs down below, Yeah, you know, strip matter and Juergens and Schwab and and TJ Williams, who I wrestled. And uh, and yeah, it came down to 57 was the last match, and I wrestled TJ right down to the wire. Um, Let's pause so it got, for a second.
0: So you're a sophomore, right? Yeah. Okay, and the funny thing to me is that TJ, Illinois high school legend, went to JUCO in California. You went to high school mm-hmm. in California, wrestled Illinois. So at mm-hmm. this point, though, kind of coming into college had you ever heard of the williams name or were all your teammates talking about how good these guys were since you went to school with a bunch of illinois guys
1: okay so you want to hear the, the tj williams story so this is basically probably one of the reasons how i got to illinois um, oh, really? so we were at we were at the junior nationals wrestling fargo um, which used to be the only game in town i mean it was you know it, it still is a great tournament there's no question but I mean, it was literally the only thing you could do. So like everybody showed up, seniors showed up, like every, it was, it was it. It wasn't this, you know, sort of new age where there's always tournaments and, you know, and, and the overseas stuff. So anyway, we're at, we're at Fargo and, uh, my dad, if you know my dad at all, he just walks up and starts randomly talking to coaches because that's what he does. (laughs) So he walks up and starts talking to Johnson and introduces himself and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and if you watch TJ, and I don't mean this as an insult because TJ was, CJ was freaking unbelievable. And if you ever wrestled him, you'd know why. Um, but if you watch CJ wrestle, so, sometimes you would think that he's not that good because well, he doesn't do that much. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he's got a good double leg; he's hard to score on. But like, kind of like Joe Williams, right? You watch him and you go, mm-hmm. "Man, he doesn't always look that good." Except for you can never beat him. Like you just don't understand how how good they are and how athletic they are and how hard it is to score on them. So I'm going to wrestle TJ in coming up in in one of the later rounds. And apparently my dad said something like basically to the same effect to Mark. Like, hey, I know this Williams kid's supposed to be really good, but he just doesn't look like he's that good. And I think Mark turned to him and said, if your kid can even stay within eight points of him, I'll be impressed. And I ended up losing like eight to seven. It was like last second. Uh, TJ beat me every time. No matter, it was eight, seven, two to one but he always beat me, but it was always super competitive, but he always ended up on top. And, uh, so Mark and my dad were kind of sitting close to each other and match happened and I barely lost. And I think Mark was like, geez, everybody's recruiting this Williams kid. I think he kind of knew that he wasn't going to, wasn't going to be eligible right away for for Mm -hmm. division one level. And, um, so that's kind of how the the whole recruiting process started
2: right there. And
1: I, I I always did TJ.
0: (laughs) I didn't know that backstory. And then, and then fast forward probably three, four years at this point, you're ranked eighth as a sophomore. This match, you're not kidding when you say in the YouTube video, you have a great YouTube channel, by the way, but you weren't <laughs> kidding when you say that it goes down to the wire. Oh, my God. I mean, to me, that was two. I mean, I don't, know, uh, I don't know if you had it replay what would happen, but that thing yeah. literally came down to the wire.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I just always I, – I remember being irritated, obviously, because I wanted to win and win, win it for the team. Uh, that would have solidified us winning. Uh, but I remember always thinking, like, if that was in Carver, he would have scored that 100 times out of 100. Like, <laughs> like they they would always get that call, and we're at home in front of our crowd, and, like, it's, it's super close. There's no question it was super close. I mean, yeah. it definitely could have not been a takedown as well as it could have been a takedown. Um, but we don't get it. And I'm like, okay. So you wrestle in their place; they always get it, yeah. and in our place, we don't get it. So, yeah, no, it was a <clears throat> it was a great match. And um, said so every match I wrestled with TJ, they were always really good matches. He ended up always coming out on top, but um, just couldn't quite crack the code.
0: Well, he only lost one match ever in college. So obviously, you're uh, you're <laughs> you have one of the one of the best careers of that era as well. So no shame there. And and kind of what I was getting at to the first question was. Yeah, Huff Hall was 9,000 people. Illinois, who up until Johnson had taken over a few years early, caught six, seven years earlier, wasn't even on the map. Now they beat Iowa. And this is during the decade. Like Iowa won nine of 10 titles in the 90s, even after Gable had left. And this is 99, 2000 ish. So it's like unbelievable what Coach Johnson was able to do. And you were obviously a huge part of that. Um, you lose and the Nationals your junior year in overtime must have been a heartbreaking loss because you probably already felt that you were doing everything you could going into your senior campaign where are you at mentally like coming off of that Nationals and going into it, like are you the same or are you up another notch if that's even possible
1: yeah I remember being really disappointed just because again you know if you you haven't wrestled at that level like it's not It's not like youth, you know, and you see it every year now. It's it's not like, oh, you got second in the Nationals. Like, next year you'll be right back in the finals. Like, I mean, look how many guys have been multiple-time National Champions and don't place the seniors. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just that difficult. And and wear and tear on your body and all the things that happen. So I just remember being really really disappointed because I was so close to, to winning and just knowing, hey, there's no guarantees. Like, I get hurt next year. You know, I mean, anything could happen. And, and you don't get, you don't get another shot. You I know, mean, you get your, you get your couple of shots and that's it. So, um, I think that was, you know, probably my initial, you know, thought and kind of sat on it for a week or so, but I just, you know, remember thinking, Hey, I got, I, you know, I talked to our little student reporter, you know, at the end of that, at the end of the mat or end of the tournament there. And I remember telling her like, Hey, I got 365 more days. So, you know, next NCAA championship, so I'm going to be ready. Yeah. Like this, this will be my last one. So do everything from now till then. Get prepared, and um, you know, and let chips fall where they may. So you
2: just
0: went right back into it, and outside of the physical work, which you know we can all probably imagine how grueling that was. You seem like a pretty cerebral guy. Were you doing a lot of visualization or any type of um, meditation during that time to kind of get yourself get those mental reps in?
1: I think just I don't know. I think just frame. I, I remember thinking a lot about how do you, how do you position, um, you know, how do you think about it in your mind? Like, is this like your, your last chance in a negative, you know, is it glass half full or glass half empty? Is it like your last opportunity? And if you don't make it, you've, you've blown it. Like, you know, your career was for, for nothing. Or the way I tried to look at it was, I love doing this. Like, I'm not gonna be able to do this after this year. Um, You know, I love, being a part of the team. I love wrestling in front of our fans. I love wrestling in front of big crowds, the NCAAs. Like um, this is my last opportunity, but not an opportunity to win, but opportunity to perform opportunity to enjoy this experience. And sometimes you lose track of that instead of the OCD and how hard it is. And, you know, you're driving, 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 driving. And, um, and I, I've heard a lot of athletes say it too, that, you know, you kind of lose perspective and forget to enjoy, at least the you know what you're around because it'll be gone in, in a heartbeat. I mean, it's been 20, 20 some years since uh, you know since I wrestled, and and you know I mean not not quite since the nationals, but 20 some years since high school, and mm-hmm. you know about 20 years since college now, getting close. And uh, you know, so I just looked at it like last opportunity. You know that hey, I love doing this. Try to keep it positive. Um, I think i had a better a better frame. You know around around the season, I did end up getting beat in the Big Tens and you know, I don't think I let that, you know, affect me the maybe the way it would have in a previous year. Mm-hmm. I do remember talking to Johnson at the beginning of the year and saying I was gonna take it a little slower, um, which he didn't necessarily agree with, but I think he understood that I knew what I was doing at this point and I just said, Hey, I've won everything else, man. I won the I won the Saint back then it was St. Louis open, Missouri Open. Um won the the Vegas tournament, I was outstanding wrestler, I think as a junior. um you know, I've won everything like I've won the big ten. I've won like one thing I have not won is the nationals. I want to go a little bit slower, um not quite be so top form, you know in November, December, mm-hmm. and try to build into that for you know for February and March and uh you know, we're gonna end up working out
0: man i I'd say so. I mean in the finals, you had Lawrence, who you guys had battled. The previous year in the semis, and as I was watching that match when you beat him in the semis, it was at Carver. I'm like, why is everyone cheering so much for uh, for Terapelli? But then I realized that Iowa and Minnesota were in that team battle uh, your junior year. So, uh, so yeah. you were no stranger, to Lawrence. And I think you know at one point in the third, you had Graham beat out. You were up three to one. You must have known that it was it wasn't all but over. But you were in the driver's seat. Yeah, you know, how do you coach your wrestlers in those type of situations when you're up three one? Is it kind of the, the go, 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 or wrestle smart and tactically at that point in those super, super high-stakes matches?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's, I mean, you always want to be, you know, there's a, there's definitely a tactical element to wrestling. I mean, right. Anybody who says there's not just doesn't get it because, you know, you want to wrestle hard, there's no question, but it has to be dictated a little bit by, <clears throat> sorry, by the score and what's going on. But I think, I think it's more, again, that glass half full, glass half empty. Are you trying to protect your lead, or are you thinking that, Hey, I score one more time. This match is over. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, that's kind of where I try to get, you know, wrestlers. That's kind of how I thought of it and what Mark and Jim would always say, um, Hey, put the match away, you know, ice the match. You score one more time. Like they, they basically given up I mean, they know they're not going to take you down three times. It's just not going to happen. Right. So rather than try to hold on, hold on, hold on, then get down to where you're okay. 30 seconds left. They score. You don't get away. Now you're in overtime. Try to put the match away. Try to try to be aggressive, smart aggressive, but don't don't shift into a defensive mode. Um, I mean, you can do that in the last ten seconds of the match. You still right. got to keep wrestling, but until then, like, hey, be thinking. I score, they give up. You know, this is the end of the match. So that's kind of the mindset.
0: That's kind of where you're at there. And I mean, after the nationals, you've had. Probably and I'll, maybe even more successful occur after wrestling. You have the SEMA as a financial advisor, which is extremely rare. I used to I used to work at Salesforce and we sold to a lot of RIA's and oh yeah, right didn't, on didn't come across too many that had that. So that's obviously uh, in a, you know a huge uh, feather in your cap. But then as a coach, one of the most accomplished high school coaches of the past 15, 20 years. And I would like to spend like the next you know ten minutes on this as we wind down. But let's just start with. This program—I don't even know what it is. So I'm genuinely curious. What is the Winter Circle program, and is—is is that just the way you run your high school program, or is that a separate academy you run? Kind of talk us through that.
1: Yeah. So, so what ended up happening was I came back from from uh, I, I finished wrestling, uh, went went to grad school, got my MBA, um, ended up working doing some investment banking stuff in Southern California for you know, about a year and a half. Ended up as life would have it, things happen. I ended up back in this area. um and started helping my dad coach a little bit just on the side well for Clovis High we were this is right after my youngest brother graduated and so kind of stables had emptied a little bit they'd kind of you know and and we were down I mean, we were just not as good now imagine where I'm coming from at you know at a wrestling level and a competition level now back to high school no matter how good you are it's still a a massive difference so we uh so we wrestled that year and uh we weren't very good um relatively speaking and uh I just remember being really frustrated because like no number one, we weren't that good, but it was just such a different level than what I was used to Mm -hmm. um, as far as training and intensity and, you know, goals and everything. So after the season, I was like, you know, I basically was like, I don't give a shit. Like, you know, I'm going to, we're going to do something that, you know, this is what it takes to be successful. at This sport, like I'll show you what it takes, but, this is, what, you know, this is what it's gonna be. So I ended up calling it the Winter circle. Um, it was basically just taking those college, that college level training and sort of modifying it a little bit for the high school level, but also having expectation around it that, hey, if you're gonna do this, like if I'm gonna do it with you, you're gonna do it and you're gonna buy in. Like, and it was one of the things I learned about high school kids and it taught me a lot about coaching is that they don't always wanna do stuff, but more than that, they definitely don't wanna to be told they can't do stuff. Mm. So the, one of the things with the Winter Circle was you had to be there beginning 70% of the time. So, like, it was off-season. Now, again, this isn't Division I wrestling. This is high school. So
0: right,
1: it was off-season, and we would have weightlifting, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we'd wrestle Tuesday, Thursday. And, but you had to be there, you know, basically call it four out of five days, you know, at least four out of five days every other week.
0: Is this the summer? And, or is this, like, the spring This semester? is the spring.
1: Okay. This is the spring and then into the summer. Okay. And, uh... I thought, man, we maybe have like four or five kids that want to do this. And that's fine. I didn't care. Like, hey, I'll work with the four or five that want to be good. Well, we ended up with like twenty some kids. And like it was just a really it was just a really eye-opening experience that they'll do a lot more than you think they'll do if you have an expectation and you're willing to do it with them. Basically, you know, you're willing to give that they're willing to give. But they didn't want to be kicked out. Like nobody wanted to, you know, they don't want to be told you can't come because that was my thing. Like most coaches have always done like, Hey, we're going to do off season training. Hey, come when you can come. And I open was like, mat, like, yeah, yeah, no, see, I'm not an open mat guy because see, I got to get over there from work and go in the wrestling room. And I feel like I'm volunteering my time and experience, you know, that I've learned over the years, which is pretty decent, I would say. And Hey, I have a lot to offer you, but you're going to commit to doing this mm-hmm. or, or you're not, or you're out. I don't want you here. I don't want you coming in when you can come in. I don't want you weightlifting when you can weightlift. I want you either deciding I want to do this and this is what, you know, not that it's the only thing I'm going to do, but I'm committed to doing this because I want to be good or I'm not committed to doing this. And that's fine. Either way, you make a commitment, but you're just not going to wake up every day and decide whether you feel like coming to practice or, or not. And so anyway, that was kind of how the winter circle started. So I just called it the winter circle because it was like, Hey, you're in this thing now. You're gonna be in the winter circle later. Like, I love it. That's that's what it was, and um, kind of took on a life of its own. I mean, amazing how these things like sort of morph. That was my idea that I was just gonna work with kids who wanted to do it. And years later, I mean, we we have fifty kids. I mean, we got kids that are on campus that like beg to get in the winter circle. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> do you even wrestle? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to get in the winter circle. It's like, no, you can't get in the winter circle. You don't wrestle. Jeez. but it just became like this thing where everybody wanted to be in it because it, you know, we did, I mean, I basically took the college lifting program that we had, which one of the things we were really, really known for at Illinois, we, we had great lifting. Johnson was a weightlifting guy. Oh, uh, we had great strength training. And so I basically took our program and I would talk to our strength coach and go, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I got to modify a few of these things. We don't have all the equipment that obviously a university has, but, here's what it is and i mean it's legit and i know my brother does it with Buchanan now um, same program he you know, we went to illinois same program and so i mean most guys think they you know are even our football team go in do his couple set of, sets of bench couple sets of squats maybe a few cleans and that that's a workout like that's a warm up like our our weight training it, when i was there was an hour and a half i mean an hour and a half hard yeah like i mean you're shot when you're done and so that's basically what we tried to bring to the high school level. Today, this is what this is what it's about. Like you want to lift weights, this is a this is a weight training program. You want to go over to GV3 and screw around, you know we got George Browns, so you want to go over to the gym and screw around or, you know, you want to go through a circuit, by all means, go for it, but you're not going to get you're not going to get what you need.
0: And so would you do that in the afternoon or in the morning for the off-season program?
1: We did it afternoon. Um we after school. We even did it late. So, because we wanted kids to be able to do their track mm-hmm. or baseball or, or, you know, whatever else they had. Like, it wasn't about give up everything you, you, want, you do in life and just wrestle. It was about if you want to be good at wrestling, this I, I've been good at wrestling. I know what it takes to be good at wrestling. This is what it takes to be good at wrestling. So, if you want to be good, We'll offer it to you, and you can still do other things too. Mm-hmm. You know, still do your uh, spring football, or you know, because most kids obviously are doing more than more than one thing. So that was how it started. And we, I think we did it when we first started. I think we did it like seven at night, it's like seven to eight thirty. Of course, I wasn't married, didn't have kids back then, and yeah, <laughs> could just live. I could just live the sport, you know. So it was like seven to eight thirty, and I think we even went um, Friday before school, which is like ridiculous for the kids, super early. So we go Friday before school. And uh, and I bring bring in donuts a lot of times for them, and it, it was an awesome thing. It said was, it was sort of my you know my uh, family until I you know got my own family. But man,
0: you to have a young coach to put in that kind of hours in the off season is unbelievable. It's something you rarely see. So oh yeah, obviously Just lived it. Lived it. I mean, God, one of the biggest things I've realized is if you find those obsessive people, you are and I am about this podcast. Finding a partner who's cool with the obsession is. One of the biggest battles you ever find in life. <laughs> that is no uh, that is a huge thing. I'm, you know, it's kind of an area of that I don't think is explored that well in, in some of the literature about how you know people who are extremists or obsessive obsessive people can live happily with others who aren't. Because sometimes it's, I'm sure, sh- I'm sure you see that at work. I mean, you probably work around a lot of successful people, but not all of them are ultra winners. So how do you deal with that when you see someone who you know is kind of giving it half ass? Do you is it hard for you not to judge them or and this is what you have to do yeah. with wrestling. I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, I mean I yeah, I mean what well, we do, we're basically doing our own thing. Um said so you can say I started our own, you know, mm-hmm. our own RAA, um which again, I you know, so the podcast is how wrestling has changed my life for for me it's more how it shaped my life. It was never really an option. It wasn't like I was not a wrestler and then all of a sudden I became a wrestler. Like I always grew up around the sport, but I didn't realize how many things that wrestling would affect in my life after wrestling. And I mean everything I have. I mean, I—it's literally the old, you know, Kevin Bacon. Like six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. You can always tie it back to wrestling. Like the clients I have, you know, how I come in contact with them, to you know, doing this business. I mean, I. So my business partner is right across the way here, and literally we started working together. So we were both at Merrill Lynch. I was brand new. Um, he's a couple years older than me, so we're both fairly young. And uh, he was—he liked MMA and we were we weren't doing anything together we were just in the same office and uh just came up one day i happened to mention oh yeah i you know i know some of those guys and he's like oh how do you know him and i was like well i wrestled in college like it was josh koscheck and you know some of the originals that yeah. were you know that were doing the, the mma fighting i'm like gray Maynard. i'm like yeah i, I wrestled with those guys like i know them really well and so we started talking um invited him to come to our Colvis Buchanan match just because I said, Hey, you know, this is an MMA, but you'll see kind of where these guys come from, how this, how this whole thing develops. And this is how they get into the fighting later. Cause this is basically fighting without the punching. And, uh, so if you know, Chris, he'll try anything. So he basically says, yeah, I'll come. So he showed up freaking really liked it. Started showing up more. We started doing business together. You know, a few years later, we left Merrill Lynch, ended up going to Wells and then, 10 years after that, we started our own RIA together. And so, literally, it all came from me having wrestled with some of these guys who did MMA. I mean, right. and it always goes like that. So, wrestling has just done everything for me. It's, it's opened all the doors. It, it's taught me not to be afraid. Like I said, just doing this, you know, doing this RIA. Like, I mean, we left all of our clients behind. Like, literally, you know, midsummer, we left everything behind, started a new venture, you know, hoping that you know thinking you know but again on day one you got nobody hoping that you know <laughs> hey people feel the same way that you feel and uh, but, but I think wrestling again gave me that gave me that ability that, that confidence that um, you know I mean listen I've wrestled in front of tons and tons of people I've been in way more stressful situations like this is a big move for me for my business partner for my family but it was like I, I believed in myself you know, I believed in us and that, hey, we can do this. I've done other stuff that's harder than this. We can do this. And uh, so that's, anyway, that's kind of how I hope that answers your question. Just, no, it
0: does. That's perfect. For me,
1: it's, you know, wrestling has been has been everything. And um, that's why I try to give back to the sport where I can, because it does so much more for you than just the, than just the wrestling. Right. And now that I'm older and, you know, 20 years out of the sport, you start to realize all the things that it really did for you.
0: When I I could go hours with this conversation, but we'll let you go because I know you have a, a busy schedule. Where can people find you on online? And uh, you know, if there are some folks who are potential clients of a wealth management, you know, wealth manager, how can they find you and your firm?
1: That kind of thing. Yeah, so so we started uh, our own firm. It's Strong Valley Wealth and Pension. It's simple. Strongvalley.com. Um, if you want to look me up there, you can. It doesn't doesn't have to be just for wealth management. I'm happy to talk wrestling with people, as you can see by social media. I'm always excited to get on Love your Twitter. (laughs) Well, I'm, you know, I, I like to talk about things that are bigger than, you know, uh, to me, to me, big parts of the sport. Like, like we talked a little bit about the youth development and, and things like that. And it's just changed so much and sports always evolving and changing and you just have to be willing to, willing to change with it. Um, that's a big debate. I know people go back and forth on it and I'm not, I'm not against youth wrestling by any means. I think it's, you know, wrestling is great for kids it's just it's driven a lot more by adults now Mm. than it used to be um and it's driven a lot more by trinkets and and awards and winning and losing than than it used to be and sports has always been about competition but when it just becomes about winning then sort of you lose some of the you know you lose some of the uh what you're gaining from the sport and i think that's what drives the kids out more is that not they don't love wrestling but like the pressure to, you know, be successful or win this award or get to this weight class. And, you know, it ends up becoming a negative instead of a positive. And I want to see as many people stay with it as possible.
0: Those parents need those Tulsa trophies though, man. Let's say, with the parents. No, I'm kidding. They're freaking I, nut jobs. <laughs>
1: it's, you know what? And, and the thing is, I'm sure there's some, there's some good people there. Um, but I've seen it. So my kid plays baseball too and, and starting to play at a higher level and, and, and you see it like, no matter what level you're at, there's always a higher level and there's always somebody willing to take it to that next level. And well, if you're, you know, in rec ball, then you could play uh, all stars. And if you're in all stars, you can play travel ball. Well, if you're in travel, ball, you can play elite travel ball and then you can play all year round and not do anything else. And then you, it's it just, it's crazy. And, and the parents, they're afraid if you don't know any better. See wrestling. I know better. So I'm not, I'm not concerned about it. Like my kid's not the greatest wrestler. He's a fourth grader, Like. But he'll be all right, and, and he's going to figure it out, and things will happen. But I know it's a long process. Where the parents who don't know, like, they're just afraid they're falling behind. So it's just this constant, you know, need to keep up with the Joneses. And next thing you know, your kid's only doing baseball, He's doing it five days a week. He plays eight. I mean, it's it's warm out here. I mean, people start baseball out here in beginning of February, and they go into December. That's the travel ball season.
2: Every old season
1: for oh yeah eight nine ten yeah oh man Think so but about but the... it's similar to it's similar to what you're saying with the with the wrestling and the hey there's a lot of good things to come out of Tulsa and wrestling against higher level kids and but you've seen the other side of it mm. and and then keeping up with those people and don't feeling like you're falling behind and you need more matches you need more mat time and you need more training and and it just it sort of devolves into its, you know, into a side path.
0: Yeah, I can. I mean, I can imagine because when you talk to someone who's been a, a, a winner at the highest level, they're never the parents that are crazy like that. I think across all sports, you usually see that parents who played collegiately or played professionally, they're never that crazy parent, at least in my experience. I've, I've rarely seen that. So it's good to have people like you working with our kids. And last question for you is when is the big duel with Buchanan? That we can all tune oh, into. to?
1: I think we're February. I think we're February sixth this year. So, um, so they. This is how me and my brother work. So they changed up our, our league schedule this year, and and literally we didn't know about it. And um, the the date they wanted us to wrestle ended up being like right after the Doc B, and right after they. So Doc B, they go out of state, and then that week we're supposed to wrestle, and then we go out of state, and we were both just like, "This isn't gonna work." It, it wasn't good for them. It wasn't good for us. And, again, the way we built this thing is, you know, we want it to be a great experience. Like, we don't want one team shorthanded or the other team shorthanded. Like, the whole idea is to put on a good show and show, you know, show the area what what kind of wrestling we have here. And so, anyway, so we ended up up agreeing to move it to a later date. So we're going to do it, I think, February 6th this year. February uh,
0: 6th. It's on flow?
1: Yeah, I think it's on flow.
0: Perfect. Well, that's exciting. Well, coach, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoy it. The hour flew by. We'd love to have you back on at some point to talk about coaching and that whole, that whole umbrella, which we didn't get to. So thank you for your time and have a great day, sir.
1: No problem. Thanks.
0: And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.